This program is a presentation of UCTV for educational and non-commercial use only. I don't think I could have lucked out more with a research spot. There's also an amazing community of researchers. It really allows us to really keep our hand on the pulse of California. It's invaluable. Cool. This is like the next level. I can't think of another place I'd rather be working. It's basically just an amazing, amazing place. Hastings was originally a hobby ranch owned by a couple from San Francisco. That couple uh, by serendipity met people at the University of California and the discussion shifted to how they could use this site for research and education. So now 300 million years ago, this is way before dinosaurs, so basically this part of the world was relatively isolated and, and had been a lot of different islands and so there's a lot of biodiversity just because California was so separate. And the fact that we have these very small, different environments juxtaposed very closely to each other to make it just a really interesting place to study. The oak woodlands of Hastings have an amazing number of plants and animals. And each one of these plant or animal has their own story, how they interact with the rest of the world. And this has often inspired people to pursue one of these stories in a lot more detail. Well, I chose to do my research at Hastings um because I heard from sort of a friend of a friend that this is a good place to find spiders. And not only can I find them in one type of habitat, but I can also look in a bunch of different habitats. And that gave us a lot of hints as to um, elements of their biology as well. I mean, I know I can come back here every year and all the nest boxes will still be on the trees. No one will have destroyed my population. Okay, they're really cute. Are you ready? Okay, so this is a 14-day-old bluebird nestling. And the reason that I wanted to work on the western bluebirds is that they have a really fascinating social structure. And it wasn't because I thought they would necessarily have any impact on society or anything like that, but it sort of developed to this place I am now where I think it really is applicable to studying cooperation in humans. Meeting all the other people, doing all the other work here, that's been cool. It's like hanging out with a bunch of... Uh, nerds. Nerds. <laughs> it is. It's kind of nerd camp. <laughs> Here you can, you know, come back from the field and you can say, you know, I have this problem with my experiment. What do you think I should do? Or I saw this strange thing today. What do you think that means? When we first arrived here and we realized that the spiders were living in all these little holes in the ground, we didn't know what made those holes, and we asked Mark, and of course he had an answer. And he also led us to a couple of other studies that had worked with those gopher holes before at Hastings. We might want to ask a question, is this water actually being used by the trees that are growing near the stream or going away from the stream? Well, how we do that is by actually analyzing the oxygen and the hydrogen isotope composition in this water so that we can determine the sources of water that maybe plants at a natural reserve might be using. So that's one of the tools, specifically with water, that we can use that couple the collections at the reserve to the laboratory analyses that we're actually doing here. Hastings is, as you, as you might think of it, as a biological library of living things. And when somebody at Berkeley needs some tissue samples, a DNA sample, 
or something you compare to other plants or animals, they'll come and they'll take a sample from Hastings. So as this information is collected, say, way out at the far end of the Hastings Reserve, it hands off to this one right next to the house, which hands off to this one right in your office. So you can log on and you can ask the question, well, what did, how much rain just fell at Hastings? And how did it compare to the Angela Reserve or the Blue Oak Ranch Reserve or the Sage Hen? And they'll find new ways to use that information because it was never there before. And now all of a sudden they can start asking new questions. How have things changed over time? Having only done a PhD for five years now, I actually have 10 years of data across a 40-year time span. And what I'm trying to look at involves whether native and non-native species might coexist. It may be that it's adding to the overall biodiversity of the flora, but it might actually mean that native species are eventually going to be excluded from California. So all of this reddish-leaved stuff is a rhodium, a non-native forb, and then you tend to get more of the other grasses a lot of times under the oaks. We, we, we should actually do the interview while he ascends. Like the David Attenborough? Yes. <laughs> As we are approaching the woodpecker from below, we're sneaking up 60 feet. You see the characteristic bill as it looks out. Oak trees are known as a masting group of uh, species. In certain years, they have a great big pulse of acorns. In other years, they have very few acorns. In other areas, if you go, say, to San Francisco, where there's only one species of oak, the live oak, acorn woodpeckers can't survive there if it's a poor year. They have to move off. And so here at Hastings, we have lots of acorn woodpeckers because we have lots of oaks. If we were to lose our diversity of oaks, we would likely lose uh, acorn woodpeckers. The question of how masting occurs is important for conservation of valley oaks which are not regenerating fast enough to replace themselves. What's happening, what we're concerned with, is um, catkin production. The catkins are the male flowers that release pollen, and so I want to know what stage the catkins are in and uh, how many catkins are there. Their theory is that it's herbivores that are making it harder for them to establish themselves. But it's important to understand all aspects of the process. The more we know about their reproduction, the better we can conserve this habitat. And I think it's also an iconic part of California. People assume that the climate is going to be about the same as it is when they moved here. So when they look around this landscape, they see oaks everywhere. It's amazing to think that in 50 years, with the climate changes predicted, this landscape could change to something like Joshua trees and yucca and open bare soil. If we just think about California, and we look here on the right, under you know, one of the many future scenarios that we consider, these orange areas are areas where the climate that's experienced there today, currently we see just in the hottest parts of the LA Basin, Bakersfield, the Owens Valley, may expand to cover the entire Central Valley. Now we have, increasingly we have a fragmented landscape. We have urbanization, highways, agriculture, so fewer and fewer sort of stepping stones across the landscape where these species can establish populations as climate changes. We have all these economic indicators. We watch the stock market, we watch the unemployment rate, and this is essential information for making our day-to-day -day and long-term decisions, and we, we really wouldn't make rational decisions without that information. We need the same information about the environment. We need to know how climate is changing. We need to know how plants and animals are responding to it. That's the basis on which we can make intelligent decisions about how to manage our resources. You know, I, I just think that the, the world is in, inhabited by a, a lot of people who just don't see the parts of the natural world at all. And they don't realize that all these different plants and animals 
are relatively delicate and that, and that all of the activities that in, individual people have can have a tremendous effect on the larger landscape. We can use things like our web camera to let the students come uh, to the reserve sort of in a virtual way. So these, these cameras were set out to catch foxes and bobcats and mountain lions feeding at these road-killed animals. Maybe we should bring a foot. That's just too disgusting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we'll bring it. There's a bunch of trees. You'll need to get up and look. <laughs> Stand up. Generally below 3,500 feet. I know this is below 3,500 feet. It's under 35. Okay, so it meets that. Often borders chaparral. But just look at his feet. <clears throat> These animals have split hooves, and it's like they're walking on their middle two fingers, like that. And this is, they don't have a thumb. The thumb is kind of <laughs> hidden up back behind. It's a little tiny bit. It'd be wonderful to have Hastings be uh, able to offer the kind of uh, adult and K-12 education on the oak woodland as the Monterey Bay Aquarium has done for the ocean. I mean, does it get any better? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty top of the line mouse. I know, this is the top of the line. So Hastings has been a great place to run class activities like this. The place has an incredible amount of history and charm associated with it. But at the same time, it's very much a working research facility in that there are full-time researchers here showing us how to catch birds, how to identify them, how to read something about their biology just by holding them in your hand. The reason I came to Berkeley was so I could take advantage of the great opportunities like this reserve. It's just gone beyond anything I've ever read in a textbook. It's wonderful. <laughs> she doesn't like the outdoors. I don't like outdoors, but this has been really fun. <laughs> Environmental literacy means that people understand that the landscape provides critical things for them to live. This is a pretty exciting time at Hastings. We're really running at capacity. We've got a very active research program and most of the time all the housing is used and as you've seen we've got people sleeping on the on the floors. You have to wake up soon. Oh no. As time goes by and the state's population grows, the reserve systems become more and more precious. We know that scholars of many kinds will come to the reserves and they're going to uncover all kinds of great new stories of plants and animals, the geology, the water, the soil, the chemistry. What we're trying to do is keep the doors open for them and provide the opportunities for those who follow in their footsteps.